This is Season 5 of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. This week on the show, useless food information, useless music information, and useless car information. Hell, everything's useless. Of course. Well, that's why they call the show what they do. Plus, we'll open up the mailbag and a news from around the world. The headline, move over smell-o-vision. Here comes Liquovision. <laughs> totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. Welcome to episode number 18. Your weekly sweet and savory facts of totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Come and get it! Hmm. You've all uh, eaten um, Hidden Valley Ranch dressing, right? You put that on your salad? With chicken wings, buffalo wings. Even better. Well, in 1954, Steve Henson, a cowboy from Nebraska, and his wife Gail purchased 120 acres of sprawling land nestled in the mountains outside of Santa Barbara, California, and they started a dude ranch. Over the years, Steve had been perfecting a salad dressing recipe, which would mix up the tangy blend of buttermilk, herbs, and spices for his guests. They loved Mm. it, and the Hidden Valley Ranch dressing was born. And it wasn't long before the guests were asking Steve for jars of his dressing to take home with them. And the word spread. The bottled version of the dressing was first introduced in the 1980s. It had become a smash hit. And today, Hidden Valley has become part of everyday life. People across the country proudly dunk their chicken wings, as you mentioned, chips, fries, burgers, and pizza. It's known as HVR in some circles, have been in TV shows and movies, in fact. And fans are buying it by the keg and including ranch fountains at their weddings. Wow, I thought Hidden Valley was just a nickname that we gave a girl in high school. (laughs) Yeah, but you found it. (laughs) The mushroom capital of the world is Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. It's in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Pennsylvania produces more mushrooms than any place in the world. And Kennett Square, you can find ladies... And a bunch of fun guys there. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of fun. What's the name of the town again in Pennsylvania? Kennett. K-N-E-N-N-E-T square. I, I would assume that's Kennett square. Kennett square. Okay. Sure. Check it out. If you like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And then you put on your pizza. That kind of mushroom. Yeah. Uh, Cobb or chef salad. Now, you're a chef. Roy is, is an actual chef with papers. You, do you have your papers? Can you see your papers? I have my papers. Okay. Yes, I am a chef. What is the difference between a chef salad and a cob salad? I'm not asking you. I'm just asking the audience. Chef salad normally would have like meat, whereas a cob salad has. Well, we got, go on, go on. Yeah, chef not, salad. Yeah. Most chef salads have a meat to it, where a cob salad is more vegetable oriented. I would assume, but go ahead. So, chef salad and a cob salad have both have lettuce, cheese, meats such as chicken and bacon and hard-boiled eggs in some cases. Mm-hmm. The chef's salad is typically considered to be a starter to the meal, where a cob salad is often considered as to be a main dish. Yeah, cob salads usually you put like that wedge, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it I'm not a big salad, you know, person. Neither am I. Have you seen our picture? Our current <laughs> picture? <laughs> more meat and potato type That's guy. right. Yeah. <laughs> It was a good hamburger and take that salad. You can throw some of that salad on the bun. It's okay. And of course, top it off with a Hidden Valley uh, 
<laughs> Valley yeah, Ranch, dressing. ranch dressing on that and a couple of uh, mushrooms from Kennett Square. Yeah. We're all... <laughs> you say yam, I say sweet potato, but guess what? They're not the same. They're not even close. Really? They're not even in the same plant family. A yam is a monocot having an, an embryonic seed from one plant. Whereas a sweet potato is a dicot, meaning it has two. And by the way, the sweet potato capital of the world is Africa. They grow more sweet potatoes in Africa than anywhere. And being that a yam is a manicot, I like it better because if you've seen Angelina, she does a this and a this, and that's Mr. Manicotti's wife. Any honeymooner fans out there? That's right. You remember that from the honeymoon. Well, you said manicotti. I think of manicotti, which is, you know, sure. a, a tube-like um, pasta. Yeah, yams and sweet potatoes are not, not, not the same even thing. The same so they're not interchangeable. So if someone says uh, sweet potatoes or yams, it's not the same thing. Stop doing that. No, no. The yam is so much more starchy. But go ahead. How about washing all that down with a chilled Coke, Coca-Cola? Mm. Coca-Cola has a very... Diet, sp- diet please. Okay, diet. Doesn't matter. Coca- Along with my Cobb salad. <laughs> <laughs> I know that we, we've used a lot of brand names on the show, and, and believe me, we don't have a keg of Hidden Valley Ranch dressing or Coca-Cola delivered to our you know respective houses because of it. Brought to you by Hidden Valley Ranch. Coca-Cola has a very special relationship with McDonald's, and they do different things when they ship the syrup for the machines. They ship the syrup in stainless steel containers, which keeps it more fresh. The tank, along with the carbonated water, gets pre-chilled before heading into the soda machines. So anyone who's had a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke versus getting Coca-Cola from McDonald's, it does taste that much different because of the process in which I just explained. So the guy brings a truck. The manager says, how many? He says, I got 20 tanks. And he says, well, 20 you're welcomes. <laughs> 20 what? 20 tanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Vegetarian alert. Uh, uh, vegetarian alert. Yeah. Vegetarians don't eat meat. We know that. Right. Okay. But I know a few vegetarians, and they've eaten Jello. In Jell-O. front of it. Yeah, so yeah. what's the problem with they, that? Jello is a dessert because they're vegetarians. They don't eat meat, they don't eat this, and they don't yeah. eat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cream, because cream comes from a cow. Well, guess what, folks? Gelatin is made from boiled meat, skins, bones, and cartilage, all boiled up in one nice little gelatinous package. <laughs> and they throw a lot of sugar, artificial colors, and artificial sweetness and flavors into it, and you get yourself a good hunking, wiggling thing of jello in front of you. You vegetarians, we're infiltrating you. We know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Feeding you meat, you don't even know it. You eat your Canadian money. <laughs> yeah, and the last episode, show. <laughs> it, the last episode we talked about how Canadian currency has some meat byproducts in it. So if you're a vegetarian, you cannot consume Canadian currency. <laughs> So you're telling us that gelatin, like Jello, is has another name brand, but the Jello, gelatin yes. has 
is skin, boiled on skin and bones. Skin, bones, and cartilage, especially boiled mm. to a point of a gelatinous mess. Delicious. Mm-hmm. That's why it jiggles so much. They get the marrow out of the bone. That's why it yeah. jiggles so much. It's still alive. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have bad bananas? I, you know, it's not working the way it used to work, the banana, but <laughs> that's a story for another episode. Well, well, maybe you shouldn't refrigerate it. <laughs> bananas are a tropical fruit, as you may may not know, and have no natural defense against the cold in their cell walls. They become ruptured by cold temperatures. That's why you should never put bananas in the fridge. And you don't ever want to rupture your banana. No. (laughs) If you do that, you need a lot more than just gelatin. Uh, (laughs) It causes the fruit's digestive enzymes to leak out of the cells, which is what causes the banana skin to turn completely black. Let me get this straight. So you stick your bananas in gelatin? No. You don't stick your, your banana in the refrigerator. Oh, never. Because it has no natural defense against the cold. And painful. <laughs> Very much so. When you put a lemon in your Coke, and again, not to push Coke. <laughs> <laughs> you folks getting this? Yes. <laughs> You've infiltrated the vegetarians. Now we have infiltrated your taste for soft drinks. There you go. Okay. So if you put a lemon in a Coke or a nice tea or water, you'll notice something happens to the lemon. It floats to the top of the glass. Oh, yeah, it does. Sure. Why? The lemon floats because it has slightly less density than water, and the water is more dense. So it's technically not the lemon floating more than the water pushing it up to the top. It wants to get rid of it. Get out of here. Just just go. Don't be such a sourpuss. Lemon! (laughs) How dare you mess with my Coke? (laughs) Don't be such a sourpuss. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your your listenership and all of the countries around the world, including India and Israel and Kenya, of course, all over North America, South America. Strange place called Canada. Yes. (laughs) We're all over the place, Nick. What is it, 58 or 59? Almost 60 countries now. And we often say we're even in countries they don't even speak English. But but then again, neither do we. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. From Beethoven to Bieber, rock and roll to rhythm and blues, this is Totally Useless Music Information with Nick. And Roy, do you know the oldest musical composition known is called Sekalos Epitaph? No, I know now. It was written on a column marking a grave in Turkey. It was a Turkish man's grave. The music, the music score was written in notes, and then the words were written and translated. This is from the first century AD. The lyrics were translated. While you live, shine. Have no grief at all. Life is short and time demands its due. Those are the lyrics to the first song ever composed. Very nice. I think that's cool. Listen, laugh, and learn. That's our motto here at Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Yeah, I just learned something just by listening. Yeah, and the Greek guy was like, what the hell is that column above my head? <laughs> and now you're laughing. There you go. Oh, no, but a... you see, I mean, how cool is that, guys? That's amazing. Sekalos Epitaph. Now, have you ever seen um, a trumpet player on TV play, and it looks like they have the uh, a, a bathroom plunger at the end of it? 
Right. It's intentional. The plunger mute is simply a bathroom plunger. By the way, make sure you use an unused one, like a brand new one. It's mm-hmm. recommended. The yeah. mute is held at the performer's hand and used to cover and uncover the bell of of the trumpet to create the wah-wah sound. Mm-hmm. Using a plunger is an, uh, an excellent player can make the trumpet sound like, if he's really good enough, is what I'm trying to say in English, you can make it sound like it's talking. Right. Okay. Can you imagine if the plunger had a memory and the guy was playing? <laughs> That's why you need a new one. By the way, remember the parents' voices and the teachers' voices in the Charlie Brown uh, TV shows? <laughs> it was created by a trombone with a plunger mute. Oh, see? Double, double thing here, Nick. So in case you have a trumpet or maybe not, you can buy a plunger from any hardware store. Uh, Although many professional trumpet players alter their plungers slightly, they drill holes and insert a penny in the nub at the top of the plunger to get a little bit of the extra rasp in the sound. I'm extraordinary, so I don't use a plunger in my home. Dynamite works better. I just stick a a dynamite in the toilet, slam the lid, run for my life. Yeah, and the tidy ball man makes a run for it. Oh, no, he's here. He's back. People are like, oh, Roy must have went to that smorgasbord again. (laughs) I play the guitar, and I've changed guitar strings. Now, I know you don't play, Nick, but have you ever seen guitar strings? Yes, I have. Okay, they're not that easy. They're annoying to change. Well, as a matter of fact, my wife does play guitar. And uh, yeah, and whenever she had to change uh, the guitar strings, it was really quite a quite a chore. So yes, I understand. It, it is. It's annoying. You have to put them on right, spin them around, cut them. You know, I mean, there's not. Okay, this guy, <laughs> Thomas Silkman, he holds the world record for the most guitar strings changed in one hour, 226 guitar strings changed in one hour. Wow. That is insane. It takes me probably a half hour to do just the six, maybe more. So he's like one of those, uh, what do they call that at the pit? Like uh, the pit crew? Does he have like a pit crew at, yeah. a, at a racing? Uh, at a... Right, he works for a guitar company. Hurry up, Tom. With no strings attached. Hey, that would be a great name for a um, great name for a business, right? Guitar business, no strings attached. What do you ah, think? there you go. There you have it. So send send your royalties to Nick and Roy. <laughs> so uh, if if I can digress for just a moment. So the last episode we introduced a brand new topic on the money. If mm-hmm. you're a business out there and you have a clever name for your business, Send it to us at nickandroy.com, and we'll be happy to mention your business on the air. doesn't cost you anything. Go to nickandroy.com. For example, there's a, a, um, a tennis store here in Toronto. It's called The Merchant of Tennis. Ah, Merchant of Venice. So if you have Merchant. a clever name like that, uh, send it along to nickandroy.com. Uh, click on Contact Us, and we'll be happy to mention your business. Another one that I saw, which actually was on um, Jay Glinsky, our friend Jay Glinsky from high school. Uh, hello, Jay, from uh, Christopher Columbus High School. He sent this meme on Facebook, and it's a furniture store, and the name of it is The Shack of Sit. The Shack of Sit. The Shack of Sit is the furniture store. So if you have a clever business name, send it to us, nickandroy.com. Okay, the Beastie Boys. You've heard of the Beastie Boys. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. No, that wasn't. No, but that was Run DMC. 
on DMC. <laughs> okay, you get to get your rapper people ready, you know, in order. Come on, uh, the beast- tricky, 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 tricky. <laughs> the Beastie Boys. Their name is an abbreviation. Boys really? entering an anarchistic states towards internal excellence. So Beastie is what it's spelled. So B E A S T I E is boys entering anarchistic states towards internal excellence. Oh, cool. That's go. what they said after they became famous. Yeah, of course they did. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Three Jewish white rappers from Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, that's got to get you to listen. Yeah, they were pickle rappers. <laughs> it's tricky, tricky, this potato salad. The schmear is tricky, tricky, tricky. <laughs> it's the tricky schmear I song. got to buy some locks to locks to locks to locks. They are okay. tricky. Come on before you get us thrown off the air and throw out of a courtroom. Come on. There are only eight notes in music. Uh-huh. Do, re, mi, la, sol, la, ti. You know, I mean. Do, do re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Yeah, I, I watch the mean? sound of music, yes. So you, you understand it's do, re, mi, la, sol, fa, la, sol, la, ti, do. Yeah. Fa, sol, la, ti. Right. Okay. I can't. I do, a deer, a female deer. When you start at okay. the very beginning, it's a very good place okay. to start. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So you know that. But did you know that when there's eight notes, you just said do, re, re mi, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Yeah. Ah, it's not. The first one is do. This last one, the eighth note is an octave. So there's really only seven notes. The eighth is the repeat at a higher octave. Oh. So they used the first seven letters of the alphabet to recognize the notes. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. G. Then there's no more. There's no eighth. It is another octave. Wow. Oh, there you go. So so even if you're not <laughs> musically inclined, we just gave you a music lesson. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? I love it. Now, maybe you can rearrange those notes to sing Happy Birthday to You. Now, we talked mm-hmm. about the Happy Birthday song many times on the show. And once again, if you'd like to send a very special birthday message to a loved one, go to our website, nickandroy.com slash birthdays, and we will more than happy to uh, send a wonderful special message for your loved one. You get me and Nick doing totally useless information about the day that person was born in a whole type of show format emailed to them on their birthday by two famous dudes like me and Nick. That's all. <laughs> so, so, so nickandroy.com slash birthdays. Uh, happy birthday to you, known as happy birthday, of course, is the most recognized song in English, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. However, wow. there is an unknown fact related to the song's name. It was initially planned to be Good Morning to You. Oh. So think of the melody of Happy Birthday to You, but it's Good Morning to You. That was initially planned to be that. And then it became the birthday song. So you'd say Good Morning to You, Good Morning to You. Don't good sing morning, it. You who? <laughs> no, you drink you who in the morning. There you go. Boy, this show is so product. This show is filled with product placement. <laughs> Brought to you by you who. All right. The London Symphony Orchestra. Yes. Till this day, the London Symphony Orchestra is one of the most famous, amazing symphony orchestras. Mm -hmm. Did you know that years ago, they had a date to travel to do a show in New York, 
in the United States. So they had to leave from London to go to the United States. Right. It's a big orchestra with big instruments. So they had to book passage on a ship. They had to switch the ship they originally booked passage with because of the time delays that they needed to get to New York quicker. So they booked a different ship. The first ship that they had originally booked and were supposed to go on was called the Titanic. Ah. Wow. Talk about the day the music died. Could you imagine if the London Symphony Orchestra had gone down with the ship? That would have been uh, that would have been even, you know, I mean, talking about at that time, the London Symphony Orchestra was so famous, too. Sure. So. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. That's pretty cool. I like that one, too. I mean, it mm-hmm. was you know not a, a good outcome for the Titanic. Every once in a show, every once in a show, I come up with some good ones. Yeah, sure. <laughs> After a, a hundred plus episodes, we figured to you know to to find one every once in a while. Uh, we yeah. all know um, Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose. Yes, Axl Rose is an anagram. Okay, it can be rearranged to spell oral sex. No. No stranger to juvenile antics and childish episodes. Ask anyone who's ever gone home early from after he abandoned one of his gigs, by the way. Anyway, that's another story. In the early 80s, the singer decided William Bruce Bailey didn't have enough spunk to it. I guess that's his name. William Bruce Bailey. William Bruce Bailey? Bill Bailey? A mashup of (laughs) of his biological father's surname and the name of his band at the time, AXL. William legally changed his name to W. Axel Rose in 1986. And the rest is rock history. Wow. So his name, could you imagine his family called him Beetle? Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey, yes. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. It is. So you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. This is Totally Useless Vehicle Information with Nick, Meet Me, and Roy. <laughs> Someone asked me, um, why does the lady say beat me for me and vroom vroom for you? It's got to do with that whole banana thing. (laughs) 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 I never stick my banana in the refrigerator before I'm going to use it. (laughs) Now, uh, have you ever been involved in any car accidents in your lifetime? I have. Yes, I was hit by a car. Mm. I was rear ended. So to speak, <laughs> or oh, oh, that—that's another by a Greek by a Greek. <laughs> His name was George, and he didn't charge anything for it. No charge. No charge. No charge. No charge for the hit. <laughs> Traffic safety research indicates that only forty percent of drivers involved in a crash applied the brakes. Forty percent of the drivers involved in a crash applied the brakes. The majority don't even get their foot on the brake pedal. Failing to yeah. identify the situation in time to take evasive action, either to do you know because of a distraction or not looking far enough ahead. Mercedes Benz, by the way, about a decade ago developed a system that prepared the braking system for emergency stops. Not only will they warn the driver of an imminent crash, they're capable of applying the brakes and bringing the vehicle to a stop without any driver involvement whatsoever. I know it's amazing. In fact, these computers are getting so many new things added to them that the computers are getting distracted and the cars are getting in accidents again. That's right. Blame it on the computer. <laughs> Blame it on my Commodore 64. I don't know. I didn't think I had to stop. The computer was supposed to do it for me. Could you imagine? Stupid computer. So many cars and so little time for oil changes. 
How many oil changes do you think are done in a year approximately, Nick? You mean in total of all the cars in the world? In the world, yeah. I don't know. I have the number. I have the number. You have don't the number? Right. So don't not... even, don't even, I see smoke coming out of your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how I am about thinking with numbers. Nine hundred million oil changes a year. Now you know why Jiffy Lube was a good business. <laughs> There's another name brand. But then I said to myself, what's going to happen to Jiffy Lube with all these electric cars? Ooh. That's a good question. Well, they'll have to go into Lube other things. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I guess, right? Many They're going to call me up and be like, hey, listen, you need that banana loop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't put it in the fridge. All right. I'll be there in a Jiffy. What uh, do you buy Jiffy Lube? <laughs> <laughs> so um, here's a, I'll ask you another personal question. Have you ever run out of gas? Uh, no. Okay. Me neither. It was close. And you know, in the boat I did in my boat. I, I, yeah, I remember. I was on that boat. Remember? (laughs) That's one time I ever ran out of gas. Most cars, right? They have, you know, the, the gauge, right? Whether it's electronic or, or analog. And the red light comes on, you know, and it tells you low on fuel. And you're thinking, okay, there's always a little bit of a buffer. It's not exactly at empty. Right. How much of a buffer zone do we have? Well, most cars can drive another 60 miles before they actually hit empty. <laughs> they think you're really stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad you said that. U.S. cars have the largest buffer of any vehicles. <laughs> you know what my wife does to me that drives me up a wall? Yeah, She'll call me up and go, I didn't have time. I'm rushing to work. I didn't have time to stop for gas. I'm like, well, how much gas do you have? Well, the light just went on. And I'm like, well, get gas. And she's like, I don't have time. I'm going to see if I make it. She does it like it's a game. (laughs) Well, those of you who are Seinfeld uh, fans, it was an episode where uh, Kramer goes on a a test drive. And they're going and driving and driving. And then, you know, the the light comes on. And the, uh, the car dealer is just like the car salesman is just sweating. And they and they want to go as far as they can go, and it eventually does wind up. I think, if I remember correctly, winds up running out of gas. And then Kramer <laughs> says, "I don't like the car," and gets out of the car. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so on average, it's about sixty plus miles. But you know, as soon as the light comes on, first of all, some mechanics say you should never ever have less than a quarter of a tank because of all the the stuff that comes to the bottom and all the sediments and all that kind of stuff that happens uh, to be in the gasoline. But Right. As a matter of reference, sixty or sixty plus miles in most cars have that buffer zone. There you go. How many parts do you think the average car is made of? How many parts? I, you say to yourself, like, there's got to be a lot of parts. But did you know that on average, there's approximately thirty thousand parts 30, in one car. Thirty thousand parts in one car, and somebody had to make those parts. So then you wonder why there's so many, you know, companies, you know. Yeah, so, that, yeah, that, so the, the so, okay, I get it. Yes. So your car has 30,000 pieces, the 30,000 parts. It needs to be made by a machine or many machines. Those machines need machines to make that machine to make those parts. How far right. back do you go? And all of those machines need one union worker. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of lube. To be sitting there on a lounge chair drunk. <laughs> no, we love union people. We love them all the time. 90, we just joke around with them. <laughs> 95% of a car's lifetime is spent parked. 
I saw that. I was going to use that. This is interesting. So if you if you drive a car, 95% of, of your car's lifetime is spent parked. In some wow. of the larger cities, it drops to about 92% because of increased traffic and extended commuting time. But even if you count only the daytime, by subtracting eight hours of sleep from the total car's lifetime, the average parking time is still 93%. Wait a second. So when I go to sell my used car, if it's like three years old, I'll say I really only used it for like 55 days. Exactly. <laughs> you do the math. See? There you the go. whole rest of the time it was on its own. 100%. Do you think when you close the doors, like when a tree falls in the woods, do you think when you slam the doors of your car, it listens to the radio? <laughs> it might. The first road trip. No, not National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the first road trip in 1888. Yes. Bertha Benz, and yes, that's her name, Bertha, oh, Bertha. Benz. All right. Yes, Bertha Benz, whose husband was Carl Benz of the famous Mercedes-Benz, you know, car. Yeah. Carl Benz, he invented the first practical car, the first legitimate practical car was invented by Carl Benz. We think of Ford, and that's not the case. Carl oh. Benz really invented the car. Oh, okay. Well, Bertha took one of his inventions on the first road trip in 1888. She took herself and her two sons from Mannheim, Germany, to Furizem, Germany, 66 miles. It took seven hours. And guess what? There were no rest stops because <laughs> cars hadn't really been invented yet. <laughs> yes. So... The kids were probably like, I'm going on the bathroom. But they said, <laughs> No, okay. But listen, my grandmother was born in her hometown, was Mannheim, Germany. There you go. I know I heard the name before, so, so now it makes sense right, to me. Yeah. So she could have, in all rights, known Bertha Benz or, or, or one of the two kids, maybe. Yeah. Maybe she was messing around with one of the two kids. Uh oh. You Did, never know. So then you'd be a descendant of Mercedes Benz. I'm going to go get my car right now. <laughs> I got a convertible. I got a convertible in mind. <laughs> with all 30,000 parts. Uh, the Rolls Royce. <laughs> oh, I, I think AMG for the Mercedes stands for all made by my grandma. I met your grandmother. She was a sweet, sweet lady. God rest her. God rest she her soul. Best. The best, Nick. Rolls-Royce made a car, the Ghost. Yes. And when they made the car, they made the interior completely soundproof. They hmm. added 220 pounds of soundproofing material. And you're thinking, that's awesome. That's amazing. But during the early part of the testing, the acoustics team discovered that while removing all of the noise coming into the interior, well, that was the intended goal, it had its drawbacks because the people who were testing them were so disoriented because usually you're so used to hearing car noise and whatnot. This was completely soundproof. And the driver said that it was like sitting in a vacuum. So the engineers being the smart geeks that they are tweaked it by harmonizing the background noise in the car and added seat frames that vibrated at specific frequencies. Why? Just take some of that stuff. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So the engineers are like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep the soundproofing in, but we're just going to harmonize the, the, the some of the noises, and then we're going to add some seat frames. They're going to vibrate at only a specific vibration. Yeah. After going you through... You know, my wife's car has dual 
paned windows. Okay. She, she has my, my wife has yeah, a, Maserati, okay. a Maserati Ghibli. Okay, has dual paned windows. They're they're actually almost bulletproof on the side windows, so that the car is so quiet inside. There's no noise. The, no no noise comes through the window. There's literally two pieces of glass. I'd hate to know what it costs to replace it. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Then again, I hate that I bought the car. <laughs> <laughs> but why would you? Okay, I understand you want a quiet ride, but it's too quiet where it just it throws you off. That's distracted driving. It's just what? too quiet. <laughs> Speaking of quiet, you can go to our website. <laughs> And and visit there and and like we always tell you you can visit uh, you can download and listen to all of the episodes from our full library of five plus seasons now of totally useless information with Nick and Roy and you can send us an email every day Toyota manufactures thirteen thousand vehicles come off their line thirteen thousand vehicles mm -hmm. how many do you think Ferrari makes a lot more. <laughs> 14 a lot less wow ferrari make toyota does thirteen thousand cars a day ferrari makes 14 and that's a good day <laughs> that's when the italians decided not to go on strike <laughs> i was in sicily and they said oh those are the they were marching down the street they said oh those are the, the guys that work at the factory they're on strike I said, oh, that's terrible. He says, happens every, every once a week. <laughs> so they had several hundred orders of the Ferrari, but they only made 14 because they went on strike. Well, can you imagine, though? 14 cars, that's it. That's Jeez. why they're $250,000. I guess so. Crazy. Well, listen, speaking of priceless, you go to a website, nickandroy.com, <laughs> and you can uh, download uh, a full library of episodes from... Uh, from over 100 episodes, and we thank you for that. And also, you can send us an email at nickandroy.com. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mailbag? Do I love going through the mailbag? I really do. Because we get such interesting um, people writing us. Mm -hmm. So go on our website, please, because make it pithy and fun, because we'll put you on the show. Patty from Costa Rica. She says, I'm an expat from the US, which is what they call themselves when they move to other countries, expats. Did you know that? Expatriates, I think is what it stands for. Yeah, something like that. They're yeah. called expats. Right. And uh, she says, she just loves our show. It makes her feel at home. Listening teaches her something every episode. She learns something and laughs her head off. You'll know Patty from Costa Rica. She's the one with a great body and a neck. <laughs> <laughs> and no head. No, but, but she says Costa Rica, she says, I, I miss my home, but Costa Rica is perfect like you guys. Wow. So clearly it's a come on. We're both married, Patty. <laughs> okay. I think we say it like 20 times a show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they Only keep because yeah. our wives know how to shoot. They go to the gun range. Yeah, and they also keep telling us that they remind us we're married. Yes, but clearly Patty could go online and see our pictures. So there's clearly no really good-looking available men in Costa Rica. <laughs> right. By the way, Patty, her name was Patty. Uh, yes. You, you, the international dateline is not another dating site. Just so that you know. Yeah. Yes. Her, her, she has a brother named Beef. Beef Patty. <laughs> wow. 
Uh, Pierre, my mailbag today. Pierre from Montreal here in Canada writes, Dear Nick and Roy, we discovered your show on our radio station we like to listen to, which happens to be CJAD 800 in Montreal. So yeah, go so Montreal. Oh, go Montreal. So uh, <laughs> those of you who don't know, who, who you guys are, some of you or most of you are listening to us on whatever podcast platform you download us on, and we appreciate that. But we're also on five different radio markets in Canada, and Montreal right. being one of them. So it's Toronto, Montreal, Windsor, London, and St. Catharines. And so yeah, we thank you. So Pierre listens on in the in Montreal. We love listening to you both. You are quite entertaining. I hope to see you one day at the Just for Last Festival. Now that's a huge huge comedy festival just for laughs like comedians come from all over the world so that's quite a compliment so yes maybe one day you'll see us at the just for laughs festival anyway here's my question they say that laughter is the best medicine yes we've heard that Mm -hmm. does laughing burn calories too so pierre from montreal we is the answer we yes Mm -hmm. just 10 to 15 minutes of laughing a day can burn up to 40 calories According to the Vanderbilt University study, researchers determined that the increase in heart rate and oxygen consumption during these funny moments boosted the burn. So 10 to 15 minutes of laughing. Our episodes are roughly 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah. 25 minutes. You're burning about uh, 78 calories on our show. Right. So send your $2 a month gym membership (laughs) to (laughs) nickandroy.com. And by the way, to that guy in Montreal, Nick and I will be going to the comedy festival this year. We'll be the two people in the parking lot without tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Parking your car. (laughs) <laughs> all 30,000 parts of them. Who be the valet? <laughs> That's French. It is. It sure is. <laughs> so once again, you go to our website, which is, uh, what's our website? Yes, it's nickandroy.com. <laughs> and now for something completely useless. In 1939, 835 sheep in the United States were killed by a single lightning strike. How many? 835 sheep in the United States were killed by a single lightning strike in 1939. Wow. How the hell did that happen? I don't know. But when I read that, it reminded me of the Johnny Carson bit that he did. He was Karnak the Magnificent where he would uh, they would give him like a card, an envelope with a card in it. And, and I can't play it because we don't have the rights to play it. But here's what the question was. What is sis boom ba? Sis boom ba. The sound you hear before the sheep explodes. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's the audience's reaction. 800 and something from one 835 lightning. in 1939. So That is a hell of a Greek shish kebab. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, lamb kebab, yes. It's lamb, uh, lamb savlaki. They go. said to me, would you like a lamb uh, souvlaki? And I said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were quite sheepish when they asked you that, though. Okay, I have a very quick one. Yes. That most people are going to want to write this down because they're going to repeat this to somebody. Yes. Most car horns honk in the key of F. No. Almost all of them. Honk. Honk. That's F. <laughs> F you. Unless you got like an Italian car, which goes, ain't, <laughs> Yes. Then I mean, it, really, honestly, then you have this like, $250,000 car and it goes, ain't. <laughs> 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 hey, 
Actually, it should be like, get out of my way. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yo, Pazzo, what are you doing out of the way? They should have horns like that. <laughs> anyway, today on the show, we talked about cars. We talked about food, which has been, it's been a while. And we also talked about music. It's time for the beloved segment you love, Time for the News. And now, from around the corner and around the world, this is TUI News. Well, move over smell-o-vision, here comes lick-o-vision or something. A Japanese professor has developed a prototype lickable TV screen. No, no. That can imitate food flavors. It's another step towards creating a multi-sensory viewing why, experience. Why? Why would it's, you want to do that? It's called taste. First off, yeah. remember when we were kids and they'd like your parents would say, "Don't sit so close to the TV screen; you'll get brain cancer." Yeah. Now, now they want you to lick the screen. It's called Taste the TV or TTTV. Oh, wait a minute! You just put my mind in a different place. This gives new meaning. To pornographic television. It uses a carousel. It uses a carousel decorum, and a carousel of ten flavor canisters that spray combination to create the taste of a particular food. The flavor sample when then rolls on the hygienic film over a flat screen TV for the viewer to try. It's a safe screen. It is. It's a safety screen. In this COVID-19 era, the kind of technology can enhance the way people can connect and interact with the outside world. Oh, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that great? <laughs> Gee, I feel like I'm having one of those frozen bananas. <laughs> the goal is to make it possible for people to have the experience of something like eating at a restaurant and other, on the... Maybe oh, a restaurant no. from clear across Don't even the, the other Just side of the world while you're in the comfort of your own home, right? So you could have, like, let's say, for example, you can taste something from a, a wonderful restaurant in Italy while sitting in your home just by licking How your How the hell food. is that going to happen? So, uh, Number the, one, if I have to go to Italy to get a good Italian meal, how are they going to duplicate it on my TV screen? Well, they're working on it because, as a matter of fact, I'm glad you asked that. See, you asked the right questions. Oh, you, Penthouse TV is going to make a fortune. <laughs> I'm subscribing now. <laughs> so with a team of about 30 students that produced a variety of flavor-related devices, including... What's your flavor called? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. As part of the experiment, uh, as part of the study, they include a fork that makes food taste richer. He said that uh, one of the professors said that they built a TTTV prototype over the past year and made a commercial so the version. Fork, the fork makes things taste richer. That's right. So it has all kinds of other devices. Wow. I'm back to the screen already. Right, all right. <laughs> so the TTTV prototype was built over the past year and made a commercial version that cost about 100,000 yen or $875 to make. 875 bucks right in order to taste your tv that's right so but, if they come on and they say oh these fruit loop taste like fruit flavors and you lick your television you're going to taste the fruit flavors brought to you by fruit loops fruit loops <laughs> but as you mentioned on, on an earlier episode like almost in season one all of the colors on the fruit loops 
They taste the same. They're right? all the same flavor. <laughs> that was Different colors. Well, they screw. Now they're gonna heads. mess with our TVs. That's right. There you go. <laughs> now they also um, they want to um, potential applications include distance learning for sommeliers and cooks. You can taste chocolate. You can taste chocolate. Yep, it's kind of like milk chocolate. It's sweet like a chocolate sauce, uh, because they tried. Here's what happened. So they told, in the demonstration, they had this TTTV for reporters telling the screen that she wanted to taste sweet chocolate. After a few tries, an automated voice repeated the order, and Flavor Jets spritzed out a sample onto a plastic sheet, and she tasted the chocolate. Okay, so this might be good for people like diabetics that can't actually have chocolate. Right. There you go. So they can watch a pornographic film and then get uh, a chocolate bar at the same time. It's in. uh, They've been talking to a lot of companies. They even use spray technology for applications like a device that can apply a pizza, or like we said, chocolate taste, or a slice of toasted bread. This is crazy. It is. I don't like this. But you can lick the TV. And then What's going to happen when they're watching us, let's say, on YouTube? <laughs> Don't lick the screen. That's all the time that we have for this episode. That's the worst flavor I've ever tasted <laughs> in my right. life. What was, what was the joke about the cannibal who, who ate the clown and said, does this clown taste funny to you? <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have for this episode of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. We thank you very much for listening and your loyalty. We really appreciate it. We will do our part and scour the Internet among other sources and get you all kinds of new useless information for the next time. And it may seem as though me and Nick enjoy talking to each other, but we'd much rather talk to you. So please tell a friend about the trend. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy is a production of NickAndRoy.com. Visit NickAndRoy.com to access the full library of episodes or wherever you get your podcasts.